Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> it really was great, and then it was real weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I really felt... What's amazing is, so we faded states on Monday night, and yes. we phone banked Georgia. <laughs> that was Monday and, night. And, I mean, it was like, it was five days ago, and, I mean, it feels like, I mean, forget it. It was in the before times, surely. And then uh, on on Wednesday, and then on Tuesday, it was happening. And then on Wednesday morning, it was happening. And we woke up and we were so like bright eyed and like a new dawn. And then <laughs> Wednesday around 4.30 in the afternoon, yes. Tracy Livesey texted me and wrote uh, and said, they just called the election for Ossoff. And I replied, I had completely forgotten. <laughs> We yes. were waiting on that, that that had not happened yet. Because right? Wednesday was a year long. And now here we are. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, let's yeah. I I I'm <laughs> I don't feel like yeah, I don't know. I don't know cuz you know what? It, I all I can do is say that I hope that that's it, but then there is the smart part of me who reads history who knows that there's this is not it. And that's what's scary. <laughs> Most importantly, we hope everybody is okay. And like dealing with this week in some kind of way. As you can hear, Sarah deals with this week in humor. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Jen is dealing with it in a different way. Here's one thing I will say. I will put in show notes, um, because I'm a teacher, some resources for how you can talk to kids about it. So if you are a parent... And you were like, how do I do this? Um, so we can load up some resources for you that maybe will help be helpful if you have kids in your life who have questions. I do not have resources for such a thing, but I do have a new favorite genre of tweet, even though I'm <laughs> not technically on Twitter right now. I'm trying to finish a book, uh, which is not going well this week. <laughs> be totally honest um but um the i'm not on twitter but my new favorite genre of tweet is um dummies who were there getting either named and shamed or arrested or i'll fired. take either or, oh i all yeah fired so like it when their yes. companies fire them on twitter that's fun so you know it's it's there's a lot it's 2021 is a cleansing year. <laughs> That's what's happening. We're cleansing. It's like we're on a juice. The country is on a juice diet, a juice fast. It's going to be fine. Okay, let's hope so. I'm telling you, it's going to be fine. I said I said this at the Faded States phone bank. I said I felt like it was going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm for it. Joe Biden's real mad. Barack Joe Obama's Biden. real mad. George right. W. Bush seems to be real mad. So I think we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but we're doing a book today. We, we are. A book in a while. We have not. We have not done a book in a while. We have been, I don't know why we haven't done a book in what a while, we I guess. We've released like 83 episodes because <laughs> Eric has decided that you all like it when we release like these weirdo little, little episodes. So They great. are actually pretty fun. I'm fine with it. It seems great. <laughs> Eric, oh, for those of you who skipped over the episodes during uh, the holidays, you might want to go back and just listen because Eric made an appearance on two of them. Yeah, and listen, Ernie, my gay best friend, has a super... Eric has a fan club now. Eric is like the president of the Eric Mortensen fan club. And in fact, he keeps texting me and he was like, I didn't even tell you this last one. I thought I'd save it for the pod. He was like... Wait, he has a voice like that and a face like that. <laughs> he's like, and he said he can he can write music. How come people aren't fighting Sarah for this man? And, and then he said, oh, he's like the gay man struggle, always lusting after unavailable men. And I was like, you have a husband and a baby. And he was like, that's probably that's why I'm it. feeling it's this It's the way. baby but that's causing this, Ernie. I was like. <laughs> Ernie hasn't slept in like months. It's Look, fine. Eric is great, but like, and thank you for your patronage. <laughs> but, 
But it's your baby, Ernie. That's mm-hmm. what's you, you're just you're high yeah, on. Right. You're on high baby. on no sleep. <laughs> sure. Of course. Of course. So anyway, it um, was pretty funny. But anyway, you so I don't think I've ever said this to you, but the very first time I ever interacted with Eric, I walked into my friend Kate's college dorm room and she was calling her boyfriend, Jake, in his apartment at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And the answering machine picked up, which, I mean, they don't exist anymore. Sure. But the answering machine picked up, and it was the answering machine for the house. Yeah. And Jake and Eric and a couple of other guys all lived in this house, and Eric's voice was on the answering machine. And it came out of her speakerphone in her college dorm room, and I was like, who is that? <laughs> yeah. Now you all know why. The rest is sure. history. The rest is history. I was like, that, that's him. How do I? Voice. How do I get that one? Well, thank God you got there first. Otherwise, you would have had to fight Ernie off. <laughs> <laughs> and without Eric, we wouldn't. None of you would have any of this without Eric's voice. Look at that. Look exactly. At that. See, it's true. So happy to share him his voice with you all over the holidays. Yes. So, Sarah, well, welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. I'm Jennifer Proka. I'm a romance reader and critic. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read them. And this week's book, For Real by Alexis Hall, is a book that you picked for us. And so I thought, and you have like a story about how you came to this book, right? So I do have a story, which I have not told very often publicly because I always felt a little weird telling it publicly, but now I'm going to tell it publicly um, because I no longer feel weird about it. So For Real came out in 2015, and in 2016, I was asked to judge the erotic romance category of the Rita Awards. Um, And the way that that worked back in the day, and I don't know if this is the same for the Vivians, so whatever, but the Ritas no longer exist, so I can tell these tales without concern. Um, The way that that worked is there was a woman at RWA and she would reach out to you and she would say like, hey, would you be willing to be a final judge for a category of the Rita's? And as we have discussed on the podcast before, there's been over the years many ups and downs with the erotic romance category of the Rita's. Um, And so what I discovered pretty quickly when she asked me the first time, this was not my first year judging erotica, um, erotic romance, but the first time she asked me, it became very clear. I sort of said to her, like, well, I read everything except for inspirational. So, you know, you can really put me wherever you need me. And she was like, we need you in erotic romance then because we can never find enough judges for that category. Which seems silly to me because as we've talked about before, I actually think erotic romance is doing some of the most interesting work in romance, which is why I love this book. Yeah. Anyway, so that was 2015 and it was a killer year in erotic romance. I read, I can't remember who all of the um, finalists were. I know Nikki uh, Sloan was one of them. And like, and, and it was the book that we read last year on the podcast, which we'll put links to if you haven't. If you haven't listened to that episode, we I recommend it. We talk a lot about erotica in that um, episode. But it was one of those years, it was one of those moments where I just felt like it, there was an embarrassment of riches. It was like five finalists and they were all just perfect books. Um, and this was my first experience with Alexis. I had never heard of him until that book arrived in my mailbox. Um, and when I sat down to read it, This was not necessarily going to... I sort of thought to myself, like, oh, this isn't necessarily going to be my thing. Like, I'm not... Um, you know, like BDSM is is not my kink. Like, there's I this this might be a struggle for me, but like I love a romance novel, so here we go. As you also know, I am I have a heart of stone cold ice when I read. (laughs) Um, this book made me cry twice. Oh god, me too, twice. And when I was done with it. I immediately flipped back to the beginning and read it again because I had lost myself so much in the story that I was like, oh my God. At the end, as a writer, I was like, I have to go back and look at all the bones of this. Like, how did this person just grab me and like hold me for this amount of time and really like manipulate me in this 
you know, in the best possible, in the way that you want romance novels to manipulate you. Like, I felt so emotional at the end of this. I immediately read it again. It made me cry again immediately on the second read. And so it was, apologies to everybody else who was nominated that year, my choice for the win. And I don't think, I think there were multiple judges, so it had to be somebody else's choice too. But it was such an experience of reading for me did that it, did it win this this year it won. did it win oh it did win okay it won the um it won the award and i am so i continue to be blown away by this book on the reread this year just now i was again just sort of blown away by and one of the things that you and i started talking about and, and i think we should do a little bit of a overview of what the story is and and maybe you should do that and then i think we should really dig into kink because I know you and I both have something to say about that and then we'll get into the book. Okay so the book is um, set in London. Um, Lori is with some of his friends who and they're visiting like a kink club. I think it's called Provocracy which is kind of a funny name and it's it's like he's a really interesting character. He's like full of malaise, basically, right? And he has had, it's very clear early, like a failed love affair that actually ended quite a while ago, five or six years earlier. But not just a love affair, like a long, like it was an intense long-term relationship. Like he thought he was partnered. Yes. And they were like, well, it was his first lover, really, even. So, or or the most, I don't know, his first the first person he was in love with, right? So, and it's not clear exactly why they broke up, but we can tell that it was Robert's doing and Lori. Still six years after the breakup is really sad. So he, but he has physical needs, right? So he goes to these clubs with friends occasionally, but he's like bored with it. It's a scene. It makes, you know, sort of the, you know, the the requirements of the scene to like dress a certain way or act a certain way are are not what he needs, and so he finds the whole thing um, kind of a little silly, a little daunting, a little, right? It's just, again. Well, and his relationship was dominant submissive. He's a, yes. he's a sexual he's a submissive. submissive. Right. So he's going for sort of sexual release and outlet, not necessarily to experience the scene, but sort of like you have to go through the scene to get there. And he's, you know, bored. He sees his old lover. That's painful. And then he sees this young Ban, who's a 19-year-old boy named Toby. And um, he ends up going over to I him. I love this moment. Yeah, it's right. such up, a brilliant, oh, it's this book. Go on. Yeah, he ends up going over to him. And, and Toby, you can tell, is like the opposite, full of hope and bravado. Well, he's 19. Yeah, right. And he, and, you know, basically, Lori's kind of like, what are you doing here, you young whippersnapper. And, you know, when he's, Toby's like, I just want someone to take me seriously. Like, this is what I want. And Yeah, well, because yeah. Lori says, he doesn't say, what are you doing here? He's like, you need to go. Like, you're this place is not for you. Because you're young and clearly can't be prepared for this. Well, and his assumption is that Toby is also a submissive because of his youth, because of his physical stature, because, right? And instead, right? So it's this mistake. Like he has looked at him and pegged him as a submissive because of his physical presence. And Toby's frustration is like, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I just want someone to like kneel before me. And Lori like drops to his knees. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's a really spectacular opening. It's great. And there was this, there's this moment where he's like, like, he, Lori is thinking like, you're not a dom, right? Like, you're like, like you said. And then, and then Toby is like, I don't know what to do. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you, so, and I think that the fascinating, and we're just going to get into it because like, Part of, I think, what blew my mind about this book was this idea that for an eternity in romance, right, um, the, like, older, more knowledgeable, wealthier, more powerful, more experienced person in the relationship was the dom, right? So... In I mean, like, how many, like, virginal, submissive heroines have we read, 
over the course of the last decade, right? Or longer. Decades, right? And it's always like, she can't, like, she can't find her pleasure. And he's like, I'll show you how to do it, right? Like, I know what you need. Trust me. Like, I'm going to spank you until you, you know, come. And then, and like, that's great. And if that's your thing, that's great. But what was so mind-blowing about this was this idea that, like, power isn't, power is nuanced. Like, relationships are nuanced. And so in this moment, when Tobe, and and every sexual dominant at some point is young and inexperienced. Like, so, like, they can't just all, you know, there's this LJ Shen series (laughs) where all the heroes are, like, 18-year-old, like, high school seniors, right? And they're all, like, the greatest sexual athletes you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> right. And, like, I get, like, LJ Shen has a lot of fans. And, like, I can, t- I can like, there are parts of me that kind of get this, this like, appeal. Um, but at the same time, like, no 18-year-old or 19-year-old is a sexual shaman. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, at like, this idea that, like, they have to learn. And Toby knows, right? Like, and I think that's the other piece about this book that really felt like erotic romance to me. You know, we've talked before. I know we talked with Katie Robert a little bit about this. And with um, we've talked with Sierra Simone about this. And we talked about it with on the Nikki Sloan episode. But this idea of, like, how do you – where is the line in the sand between sexy contemporary and erotic romance? And I – you and we've all sort of come to this place where we realize that, like, erotic romance requires the sex to be part of the identity – and in this particular case, like there is being a being a dom, a dominant for Toby is so much a part of his identity. And like all 19 year olds, he is trying to figure his shit out. Well, and being submissive is so much a part of Lori's identity. Yeah. Right. And that I think the other thing I, I would like to say is that we have talked a lot about like, how you build a a romance arc. And we end up talking a lot. I I don't think we've started with many books that really lead with sex the way this book does. And then the, like, relationship stuff, the emotional stuff, the feeling stuff, right, Mm -hmm. comes after. And I think that if you are an author out there who is looking to write a book where you know, it starts with a one night stand or it's, you know, and then the relationship comes Mm -hmm. after and you haven't read this book, you, you should. (laughs) But there's also this moment, I mean, you're absolutely right that like it starts with sex and it almost starts with like kind of a men, like that, this scene feels very like mentory in a weird, like there's a lot about this scene to unpack. Like, Oh, I yeah. feel like you could do an hour just on this meet, this meeting, this one. Well, scene. or just then they go home, yeah. right? And what happens when he, like, t- Toby goes to hit to Lori's home? Yeah. Well, and then there's also, but even before they do that, there you're in. I think the POV choices are really smart here. Mm-hmm. Like you're in um, Lori's POV for this meeting, and so you're sort of seeing, and what he sees in Toby is fearlessness. And I think that there is something so powerful because he is so afraid, right? Like, Alexis Hall, in all of his books, plays with these really big emotions about life, right? Yeah. That at some point in life, all of us, as we age, come to know fear in a different way than, like, oh, I'm afraid I might you know, die or whatever. Like, I'm I'm afraid of snakes. Like, we come to understand fear as a piece of our self. And for Lori, he has lost his anchor because he really believed that his life had come to a place where he didn't have to worry anymore. Um, and now, you know, he's a surgeon. He's like a superior surgeon. He is extremely extremely wealthy. They go home to his townhouse in Mayfair or wherever it is. And like they, you know, his whole identity is very much about power, but he is terrified of never finding 
himself in another person again. So I think it's it's interesting because you talked about it as fear, but I think the way it's framed in the book, which I really liked, is about risk. Yeah. Because fear is something you're fear is something that like kind of happens to you whereas risk is about agency right it's a decision you make Mm. and I think one of the things that like I've talked about a a lot with like my son is um how now it doesn't feel that way as much anymore given the state of the world but you know there's a lot of ways in which like the terrifying risks that you experience as a teenager and a young adult right where like you really are like I'm gonna make a decision right now and once I go through this door I've closed a lot of other doors that stuff doesn't have to happen as much as an adult there's a lot of ways that if you're comfortable if you're financially comfortable certainly you can inoculate yourself from a lot of risks Mm mm-hmm But you can't inoculate yourself from emotional risk. Right. And that's, I think, the thing that's really interesting about this book is that we are all, um, there's a part where Lori talks about physical risks and emotional risks being essentially equal to him. And that's why, like, their, their play, right, is, like, pain to him is, you know, he's like, I'm suffering from this emotional pain all the time. Right? Like, I, my lover, my the love of my life left me, and I didn't really have a choice about it. And I think that it's really interesting because then when what he's doing with Toby is taking a risk in a way that is weighted differently for him because of all those things you mentioned, his wealth, his job, his comfort, right? And that's the part that's also really, I want to say, probably the best I've ever seen age an age gap yeah. play out in a book is in this book in part because sex is on the page as identity so the power you're absolutely right the age gap here plus the power in their sexual relationship equals something that i've never seen before yes like agree and i don't i I mean, I'm I like you. I mean, I think now that you you've never read this book before. No, but now you see why I was like, "This is." Oh it. yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, I'm almost like mad at you that it's taken us three seasons to get here, right? Because this book was amazing. Well, it was on my list for season two, and we just—I mean, we could have just—we shouldn't have seasoned. We should have just kept going. We kind of are. <laughs> um, but I also think, you know, I mean, we don't know what we're doing in season three, which is why we're calling it bla- back on our bullshit. Sure, but, we're just but talking I, about the books we love. <laughs> but I also think that as we look at mo- modern romance, right? As we look at the last generation the most recent generation of romance and I think this is a good time to be looking at it actually because I think we're shifting into a new generation of romance right now yeah I um, agree. but as we look at this like <laughs> it's the age of the billionaire right the last 10 years and what Alexis Hall does in this book is gives us I mean I don't think he's a billionaire but he's extremely wealthy and like he gives us an extremely wealthy hero who is in many ways, nothing like all the others. I think the thing that's done really interesting to me is we talk about them, like their sexual relationship is like dominant and submissive. But in terms of life, mm-hmm. Lori has all, is, is like essentially holding all the cards, right? Yeah. Like, you know, he, at the end of their first encounter, he essentially like kicks Toby out. Yeah. Right? In the most dismissive way possible. Yeah. And I think that that's the other part that's, like, really interesting to me is that, like, the difference in their ages, it's not going to necessarily impact them in the bedroom, but it does impact them out in the world. And I was really fascinated by, like, just how deftly that is handled and how interesting their relationship becomes. Well, and how authentic it feels, right? Because again, for decades, we have read the like rich hero Mm -hmm. and the, the less than the, the, you know, the governess maid, the like, you know, the secretary, the whatever, um, who, instantly becomes his obsession but Alexis Hall isn't doing that either 
There's something so authentic to this relationship in that it feels very modern. Like, it feels like this is how this would go. Also, before we leave the dominant submissive piece on the table, I want to just nod at the fact that in these early sexual experiences, there is a power. There, Like, Lori's kind of a switch in the sense that Toby doesn't get it, right? He hasn't come into his own as a dominant, a sexual dominant. And so Toby has to guide him. So there's something very cool right from the start about their relationship being different in a lot of in a lot of ways from any of these relationships that we've read before and then it makes it somehow makes the moment where he gets kicked where Toby gets kicked out even more real because it's like oh but they're not right for each like they're not right for each other yet because he's because they their their sexual identities aren't quite matched yet. Well, and I think I that part was really interesting to me oh, too. So smart. It oh, it's so good. So like there's several and here's the part where I is I especially think it's interesting is Lori is comfortable with his role at some level of like teaching Toby what thing like you know, what some of it is even, right? Like, open up my magic bag of tricks in Bluebeard's attic, and I'm going to tell you what these items are, some of which I had to Google, by the way. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, what's that? And then I was like, oh, because um, I also didn't know. But um, the other thing, but this, but then what's fascinating, right, is but when it comes to their emotional relationship, Lori is not as skilled at handling those conversations, right? He steps in it and he um, is brusque and rude and dismissive when he he doesn't mean to be, you know, and there's well, and I think rich and powerful and he acts that way. You know, again, like I was saying, right, like this is a book that leads with sex and the sex between them like works at a certain level, even when it doesn't quite work, it works, the sex part works. It's the emotional stuff that they that doesn't work. And it's interesting to see Lori's patience with him in one way, but it doesn't transfer into another yep. way, right? Well, there's a great line early, early in it. And Lori, I think, says, uh, whether you were on your knees or not, people still had their ways to flay you, right? And I think... I mean, it just, I had it highlighted in an, in the copy that I was reading, and then I just, I hit it again, and it just, it's like a, it's like a, a strike when you, mm-hmm. when you get to it, because you're like, oh my God, everything about this book, the language in this book is so oh. measured, and it's so careful. Like, there is, there isn't a word in this book that isn't really... Correct. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, and you know what, though? That made me think. So one of the smartest, uh, Toby loves poetry. And one of the smartest things I had ever heard in a poetry workshop, actually, it was with Eric Selinger and these other guys and, you know, in my other life. And I'll remember this one guy saying that um, poetry is like a laboratory for sentences. Mm -hmm. And Toby's love of poetry, I think, is really it plays out in the text itself in a lot of really interesting ways. And this, the writing is, I mean, I would give this book to anybody. The writing is so good. Uh, It's astounding. I mean, I really believe that Alexis Hall is one of the greatest writers writing today. I think I, I have read Glitterland. His, somehow his debut Glitterland is just as beautifully written. It's like he's never needed to learn, um, which, you know, <laughs> yes. I'm so happy and not at all jealous of him. <laughs> um, and, but also um, his most recent book, Boyfriend Material, which I have not read yet and is on my Kindle, like people are over the moon about it. And oh, yeah, they love it. Certainly yeah. that is because he is a superior writer. 
I mean, Looking for Group is a terrific book. And the other thing that he does that I think is so interesting, and he does it here in such beautiful, measured amounts, is communities, right? So Lori and his friends, um, and then Toby and his, like, relationships with his family, like his family dynamic. He's so, Alexis Hall does this really beautiful portrait painting, um, of how communities and families build and how they fall. And I just think, I mean, I just think he's incredibly talented. Well, there's a part where um, Toby disappears for a while and Lori doesn't really know why. And we as readers kind of suspect and maybe know why. And he goes to see his his two friends and, and she, um, it's like, you know, she hugs him and she was just like, I don't know how we let you get so lost. Sarah, I mean, I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, like that part where you you see a friend that you're just like, oh God, I I did right. Like I didn't realize how far away you had drifted, and I thought, you know, to have people that care about you like that, and and to be a part of kind of their approval, like right, they show up at the end, and you know, I mean, I think that part is also really beautiful. Yeah. And I also think there's something about this book. I mean, it's clear to me that Alexis Hall also is a romance lover. Like, there are moments here that if, even if, right, even if BDSM isn't your kink, like, even if, like, you know, London set isn't your thing or contemporary isn't your thing, there are these moments where it's just such a clear marker for a romance novel, Right? Like, I'm thinking about, like, the plot. The the plot, which is so classically, like, a Harlequin presents. Con- not, <laughs> not a presents, even. It's like a, it's like a category plot, right? There's this evil ex, and then, and then he comes back, and then there's a misunderstanding. And it's all a very, it's a, we're not even going to get into the plot, because it doesn't matter. It's very much, it's the, it's the, the gunpowder um, that, moves that explodes the the story. It's it has nothing to do with what actually is happening here. This is like a really interesting Okay, I'm going to like tell you something I was sort of thinking about, which Please. is um one of the things that I I I don't personally like and other people can and that's fine is there's this like gotcha thing that sometimes people do to like romance authors where they make them like read like think about what what Stephen Colbert did to Stacey Abrams. Read the sexy parts of your book and we're going to all like, like laugh at it. And I said this thing on Twitter where I was like, if you are forcing people to read the fucking parts and not the feeling parts of romance, you're really missing like where, where the money is. And, and I don't mean that like you can't have sex without love. That's not what that meant. But what I meant is, like, when I read romance, like, the things I'm going to remember about this book are the feelings. And this, the way that their feelings about themselves, about their friendships and their communities, Lori's expression of what it is when he does his job and he and how painful it is for him to sort of disassociate and, like, evaluate people just as, like, mm-hmm. bodies and then kind of go back and realize, no, they were lives the way that um, Toby feels about his grandfather and then his mother. And I mean, I've got to tell you, it was like, it was just all right there. There's such moments of like tenderness. Yes. And authentic. It's just so authentic. It's so for real. Right. And, and I think that that's the thing. Like if somebody was reading this book and they were like, okay, but you know, I, I just remember the part with, like, the... I mean, don't get me wrong. The sex is so hot in this book. It is, like, scorching hot. Mm -hmm. But it is all tied up in all of these ways in which they feel about themselves and about each other. And I think that that is what romance does so well, is, like, that the physicality of the way that we feel about the people in our lives and the way we feel about ourselves... Toby's like sort of like here's who I am on the outside versus how I feel about myself in the world. All of this stuff I think is it's sublime in this book. Mm-hmm. I mean and and that's I think part of 
why, you know, when people just read, like, you know, read the sex stuff because it's funny. I'm like, no, read the feeling stuff. Yeah. That's, that's what moves me. I mean, I think that, again, this is sort of, there's something to erotic romance not being, and I, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again because I, it bears repeating. It's not properly labeled most of the time. Yeah. Like, I think that there's the world of what we would refer to as erotic romance that is erotica, like, sort of horny. Yeah. Um, And not, and without shame, like, it just, sure. it doesn't do the work of romance. But this does, right? And then there's the world of sexy contemporaries where you really can lift the sex. I mean, not hopefully you can't entirely lift the sex out of the book because that's why isn't there. But like where you really get the sex is sort of secondary to the love story. And then there's truly magnificent texts where the sex is essential. And... I think that what's fascinating to me is that by the end of this book, you're looking at two people. This It's a masterclass in character work, right? Um, it's a masterclass in the evolution of a character and how you move a character from point A to point you know, Z. And we see them, we see the challenge of evolving a human being twice over, right? And so when Lori discovers that he's made a terrible mistake, right, he – we feel it with him because Alexis Hall has done the hard work of getting us there with him. And I think that erotic romance is doing – does this in so many incredibly powerful ways but when we lump it all together, and I think this is a this is this is a problem for contemporaries, especially because on like on like Amazon in Ku, like everything right. is erotic, right. right? But I think there are very few writers actually who are doing this work with the text. I think a really good like example of kind of a choice that's made that drives it more towards erotic romance is um, Toby is very close to his, I don't know if it's like kind of on a craft level. Toby is very close with his grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Far more close to yes. his grandfather than his own mother, who is a young, younger actually than Lori, right? His mom, he's 19. His mom had him when she was 15. So she's a couple years younger than his lover. But he goes to see his grandfather and we sort of see like a chapter where he visits him and we see how close it is. And then, you know, spoiler alert, in the middle of the text, he disappears. He doesn't come for a weekend. And we know, we know that 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 Toby's grandfather has died. But the focus is that is not in the book. It is said it's it's Laurie's point of view where he thinks like Toby just isn't coming back. And he sort of is mentally bracing himself for the idea that that might, you know, he just might never come back. And I think if it had gone the other way, it would have. I mean, it's like, you know, and we get Toby's grief. We get him grieving, but we get him when he returns. And the grieving is in the context of like, how am I now with my lover? How am I now as a person in the world? And how can Lori support me in a way that I didn't know I could ask for or know I needed? And if it had just been a chapter of Toby alone with his grandfather dying and choosing not to go see Lori, I think it would have disrupted what becomes instead this like torturous moment for Lori where he realizes, again, the mistake that he's made. Like he doesn't even know how to get in touch with Toby. And I think that's the part of, like, it's a really interesting choice. And it's one that I think is brave in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, because he's cutting out, Alexis is cutting out all the things, yes. all the crutches, yes. right? All the things that, as a writer, you put in because you're afraid. Here's what it is. It's trust, right? It's 
I have myself written a number of scenes, and I hope that I have taken most of them out, though I know for a fact I haven't. You write, as a writer, you write a number, you often, like, find yourself writing scenes that are there just so that the reader understands everything. Yep. Right? And the truth is that readers are remarkably astute, and they don't have to understand everything. Like, they trust you. Readers... Especially if you're a writer like this, like a, a a really tremendous writer, readers will go along for the ride with you. Um, the problem is, is that as writers, our instinct is to kind of always show. The, I mean, I think there are two. I think there are two kinds of writers. I think those. Some of us have the instinct to like show everything, and others have the instinct to not show enough. Like there's, and there <laughs> are there are problems with both of these things. But man. Alexis threads the needle here. Like there is, I, like I said, there it is such an economy. It's an a, such, there is such an economy of word, an economy of plot, an economy of like character. Everything about this book is so and yet, perfect. You are there's like this wave of feeling, right? Oh, it's so emotional because when it comes, it comes, it hits you like a like a ton of bricks. At the same yeah, moment in his right. story, right? Toby is a different kind of character. Toby has this very, like, Toby's so open that when he starts to close in on himself, like, in sadness and doubt and fear and grief and all the things that are kind of packing into him, um, it you start to see Toby collapse. Like, and, and I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that, like, he, you know, collapses into a depression. I mean, like, he collapses into something that yeah, suddenly has into edges. adulthood. And, like, suddenly you're, you see him as a, as a formed character in a way that you have always seen Laurie as this character. And he, Laurie has to shift. And, like, Toby has to coalesce. It's really, oh, my God, yeah, it's so it's, good. And then can we just talk about the the moment the scene I love one of the scenes I love the most about this book is the scene where Laurie goes to find Toby and he goes God. to his mom's well, house. Well, I think before that happens though. Yeah. I so okay, we don't get Toby grieving at all, right? Like he just shows up and he's like my grandfather died and I couldn't even tell you and he's like kind of furious with Laurie like you never let me in. And Laurie has to be like, "Yeah, you're kind of right." And then he, you know, like, sort of goes to work. He's like, I have to go to work today. I can't not go to work. And there is Sarah, I think probably one of the most wrenching scenes I've ever read in a romance is when he, he, like, just loses his shit and he, like, is hiding. Like, under a desk or something. Mm -hmm. He just, like, can't even handle it. He's like a cook. And Lori comes to Mm -hmm. him. And again, we get this, like, inverse, right? Here is the part where... You know, Lori wasn't there for them, him when he needed him, but now Lori has come looking for him. And then it's Lori's turn yeah. to say, well, you're not really quite letting me in here either, right? I mean, the whole, it's like an emotional wrecking ball of, like, this weekend. Right. And then this is what causes um, Toby to take off, right? Like, he's just like, yes. I, you know, I'm sad and I'm grieving and you're being terrible and I'm leaving. And he, like, runs away. And this is then where we get we get back we get both of them sort of on their their journey like Toby's flee you know he flees right well this is the stylistic like it's a it's a moment where like as a as a writer you it's stylistically very cool right like so the care the POV switches back and forth chapter wise um and then there comes a chapter that's headed both of them and like it's such a cheat. It's a cheat, right? It's a, it's a, but oh, it's yeah. delicious. I mean, like, it's a real, I mean, like, it's not a cheat is the wrong it's word. It's a culmination, it's, I would say. Yeah. It's right. a wink. I mean, like, Alexis knows exactly what he's doing. He's making a choice that, like, it's a wink at the reader. It's a wink at, the, like, there's a lot, like, it's one of those moments where when I got to it this time around, I smiled. Like, I was like, yeah, that's, I would do that. Too. Like, it's a, it's a really nice little tip of the cap. That's right. how I felt, too. I was like, we need them both right now. It cannot, right? If you, right, you have to. Yeah, and suddenly the style is. And is that the scene? That's That begins with Laurie going to Toby's mom. And it's this. Well, first he goes home. 
He goes home. He's making calls. He's, you know, he's like, well, maybe he'll, right, he can't find him. Maybe he'll come home to me. And then he realizes I can't just sit and wait for him. I have to go out and look for him. Oh, so nice. I mean, it's also one of those moments where, as a writer, you ha- like, I, you have a moment where you're like, the, the hero, the characters have to be proactive, right? Like, they can't have life... In a romance novel, life can't happen to a character. Agency, 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 yes. Characters have to happen to life. And so you have this moment, but with Lori, like, talk about a character who does not happen to life. Life is happening. Like, here we go, right? Here's, it's gonna, he's gonna, Toby has pulled him out of his hole, right? Um... So he goes to Toby's mom's, he goes to Toby's home where Toby's mom lives. And Toby's mom, as Jen said earlier, you know, is basically also young. And like, but also, yeah, very cool. But also the kind of cool that it's like a really cool person, but a terrible mother, right? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I don't, I mean, yes, a terrible mother, but also. And a wonderful mother, right? Like, does the best she can, like, is doing the best she can kind of mom? Like, not a ter- not an overtly terrible mother. No, it, that's, that's terrible. It's bad to say, yeah. We've no, seen a lot of bad mothers in romance. Like, this is, this is a mom who, like, was a kid, too. Like, talk about somebody who had to find her own identity, like, in the midst of some shit. But what's fascinating here is there's a moment. To- Lori comes in and the mom is like, uh, he didn't tell yeah, me you were older right. than me. Right? And she's like painting naked. <laughs> no, she's painting and she's naked. She's painting and she's naked. And he's like, he's like, do you often paint naked? And she's like, when I'm alone in my home, I do. It's amazing. Yeah, she's like, let me put on a robe. It's fine. <laughs> and then, um, so then she says, I'm gonna, um, so then she says, you know, he didn't tell me you're older than me. And he's like, yeah. And then he's like, do you know where she, where he is? And she says, no. And he's like, well, doesn't that worry you? And she's like, he has money. He has a credit card and a brain. Like yeah. I, a mobile, what does she say? She says he has a mobile, a credit card and a brain. And like, and you have this moment where you're like, as a parent, that's kind of the goal. I don't know. I don't have a teenager, but like I long for the day when I think about my kid being out in the world and being like, you know what? She has a cell phone, a credit card, and a brain. If I I could stop and tell you a story, it's a little bit of a digression, but there was a day when Please. Little Romance was starting to take the train. We live in Chicago. This is pre-pandemic times. It's probably after his freshman year of high school. And he was sort of he texted me and he was like, um, okay, I'm I got a little delayed. I'm going to be home soon. And I was like, okay. And he came home a little later than he thought. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I got on the Metro going the wrong way. The Metro is not like the L and it doesn't run as often. And he's like, and I got on the wrong Metro and I ended up essentially like 40 blocks past the house. And I turned around and the other, you know, a train wasn't coming back for an hour and a half. So I called an Uber and I came home and I thought that was okay. And I was like, are you kidding? High five. Great job. Like you had a problem and you, you put solved it, together. it and now you're home. And I would have also been fine to call me and tell me, but like, I'm so proud of you that you, you took care of it. Like yes. creative problem solving. We ha- we value it very highly yes. in the Reads Romance household, right? Yeah. And so this is my thing. Like if, if this is... If this is not the mark of a bad parent, this is the mark of a parent who trusts her kid and like knows that everything that he's got a head on his shoulders. But what's fascinating here is that Lori like kind of doesn't lean into that. Like Lori's like, well, I'm worried about him. And she says, I can't tell if you're sweet. (laughs) I highlighted it. Hold on. Let me find it. What I said earlier about Alexis Hall being able to write communities, right, and, like, relationships in all ways, this is a mom who's like, I don't know if I care for you. Like, let's see how this goes. And then she says, you can stay and wait for him if you yeah, want, right. don't it's amazing. bother me. And I'm like, wow, that is, like, a real parent thing. Like, uh, fine, just don't bother me. And I really loved... I loved that there was this glimpse at the mom finally as being a person who, like, does love Toby. Like, he is okay there. Like, there's um, – because there is this sort of moment – there from the start, 
And I think it's so smart. But talk about a character who I could never write, right? Because Toby is so untethered at the beginning. And you think to yourself, like, well, this poor person, like, he only has his grandfather. He doesn't have any, like, friends. He works in a coffee shop. Like, what's the – or he's, like, he works in a, you know, restaurant. Or, like, he doesn't have any – like, there's nothing grounding him. Which, again, like, perfect erotic romance thing because what – it's part of why he's not grounded is because he hasn't found himself. Like, he hasn't fully formed his identity. But then as Alexa starts peeling back the layers – of the story, you start to see like, oh no, Toby does have ground to stand on. I think it's this really important moment too where, and you're a parent, so you will, you'll feel this, which is there are stages where you're like a great parent of a kid that's X age and not like, I was a terrible parent to a baby. I didn't enjoy baby the baby years at all. I am a fucking kick-ass parent to a 17 year old. Right. And I think that we get this moment where like these formative experiences that Toby tells Lori and by extension us about his mother are from when he was young, when actually her parenting style was not nurturing to him. Right. But now we see, oh, she's like a great parent to him now. So it's just like this really interesting way, too, in which like it's this great moment for us to like sort of zoom out and see her from a different perspective and also to see Lori from a different perspective. When she I laughed out loud when she was like, I'm not sure if you're like sweet or clingy. I was like, (laughs) this woman's amazing. I love it. That's the kind of mom I want to be. I mean, my daughter will 1,000%, like, lock me up if I ever say that to her <laughs> love. Yeah, but right. the reality is that, that I mean, that's, that's the goal. Like, this woman likes her kid, trusts her kid, believes her kid has the fa- all required faculties to survive in the world. And truthfully, like, that in it, that certainty, that that parental certainty that you get from her is the same kind of certainty that you get from like great friendships or whatever that really like they do ground that does ground you as as I said earlier. Um, you know, I think there's also some there's something really. I mean, this whole piece is really smart and sweet at the end where you know Laurie goes to sleep in his bed and his like bed in his home like suddenly everything shifts and you're like, oh, no, these two are really in love. Like, this is magnificent. The scene for me that, I mean, I I love this whole scene entirely, but the other scene that is, like, kind of wrapped up in this, like, arc at the end is when they go to a party together and Lori is hesitant and doesn't want to go. And And he thinks to himself, like, I, I'm... Toby deserves to have these adventures, but I'm not going to maybe be the one to have these adventures with him. And there's this moment where he Mm. says to him, like, you have to promise, like, you have to promise not to share me. Like, I don't want you as a dom to, like, and it's, right, like, when we go into that party, like, when we're out, when we're at home, like, we're boyfriends. But when we go to this party, we will be dominant and submissive. And you would tell Toby's like, what are you talking about? I would never. And it is that, I will tell you, I had to put the book down once, essentially, there's this moment where then they run into Robert, who is who is flogging someone, and Toby's like, oh my god, like, look at his, what he's doing is so cool, and, um, and I, as I was like, oh my god, this, I was really scared. Like, I was truly scared that this yes, might be that the this fuck would up. be the fuck up. Yeah. And was like really deeply nervous that this would be a breach of trust that couldn't right because that does feel like something that can't be overcome but there's a good example of how skilled an erotic romance writer Alexis Holly yes right because that is a line that in the hands of a less skilled writer would be crossed and Used in some ways, like, oh, but you really liked it, and, and I that doesn't happen would. at all. Right? And that doesn't happen here. And I think, uh, oh, God, it's so smart. Also, I want to point out that Alexis is kind of one of these writers who seems to be able to write everything. Boyfriend, um, boyfriend material? Is that right? Yeah. Boyfriend material, as far as I understand, I is think closed so. door. That's what I've heard. Yeah. 
And I mean, that in itself is sort of a remarkable, not not because you can't write both, but um, I think that for someone who is clearly at so skilled sense, yeah. right. at this, um, that and also his How to Bang a Billionaire trilogy, um, which is How to Bang a Billionaire, How to Blow It with a Billionaire, and How to Belong with a Billionaire, like is also another like really deeply sexy trilogy um, set in a school in like a, well, it's not set in a school, but it's um, the hero. One of the heroes is a um, private, is a student at a private, at a, at a university um, that's like Oxford-y. And the, her- the other hero is a big donor to the university. And so like it has that kind of like similar feel, a little hot for teacher Everybody knows that I like that, even though it's not teacher in that scene, I was kind of like, I'm nervous that this scene is going to break my trust as a reader, along with breaking right. your trust. And, and to get you as a reader invested in that way, like, I don't know if that's, how, like, yeah. if that makes sense, right? So you're like, it this, oh. the trust I mean, is going to be broken between these two, but also you're going to break my trust with you. And instead, I mean, so I don't want to, like, kind of spoil the scene because I really, how it all works out. But I I will tell you that that was, like, a real moment for me to, like, right. And it's all essentially happens in the weekend that he comes back where you're like, oh, they finally have, like, kind of made it through. And then you realize, like, okay, they've made it through the sex stuff, but have they made it through the emotional stuff? And that's where I think this book is so sure-footed, and it never, Alexis Hall never drops any of it, right? He is just as careful about taking care of their emotional journey as he is about taking care of their sexual journey, and then taking care of us as the readers and bringing us along with them. I, I was deeply moved by this book. Deeply moved. Yeah. Yay. You told me. Told you. And now I know what an anal hook is, Sarah. So fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, here's the difference. If anybody wondered what the difference is between Jen and me, Jen looked that up. I just elide that shit. Like, I don't know what that is. I'm never having that in me. So let's just keep moving on. And I was like, this is what insomnia will make you do. Google that at four in the morning. Uh, amazing. <laughs> our friend, our, the search terms on, on our website Ooh, are about to be that's lit. That's true. That's true. Yeah. No chastity belts. No chastity belts. So sorry, you guys. Someday, someday we'll get back to the chastity belt, our lone chastity belt searcher. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of another book with a chastity belt. We should do a chastity belt interstitial, but I, know. I can't well, think of another maybe one. Maybe people will let us know. <laughs> anyway, that's the first episode, first read of 2021 in the books. I'm glad that you loved so it, my friend. We do have a well, we so we do here? have a couple. We do know kind of what we're going to be reading in the next couple episodes, right? So two weeks from now, we are going to read Naima Simone's Blackout Billionaire series. Um, these are three, yeah, three Harlo- uh, Harlequin Desires. I have them on my shelf, right? Um, and those will be, we're going to just do, talk about them all. So read one or read them all if you want to. And then um, two weeks after that, we're going to read Mary Bailo. I don't remember the- Oh, yeah, A Matter of Class, which I think is out of print, but you can get it in. Um, And then I have some plans for Anne Calhoun two weeks after that, but I don't know if I've decided the title yet. So we're going to, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty far. So don't. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Insurrection Part 7 might have happened by then. (laughs) No, it'll be fine. It's going to be fine. Uh, Next week, we have a fun interstitial that. is a repeat of one of our very first interstitials. We're going to go back at it and give you more than 20 minutes. Remember when we talked at you for 20 minutes at a time? So funny. We're going to return to curvy heroines. We will see you next week for that. And uh, we love you guys. Happy 2021. We hope that you too are, you know, cleaning out your lives, getting ready for a new year, new president. I just want to say one more time. 
how much all of our faded states phone bankers meant to us. I already miss them. What are we going to do? We got to, you know what we have to do? We, we should do another live. We should do another live. I'm feeling there'll be, th- there'll be shit we're pissed off about. We'll be phone banking for something, I'm sure. Well, we don't have to do a live. No, no. We're pissed off no. episode. I mean, you know, we could do just episode a live. for fun. Like you <gasps> episode. You know what else is coming up soon? Oh, Jen just had inspiration. I'm not sure it's inspiration, but I am going to tell you. You know what else is coming up in February? Derek Craven Day. <gasps> Derek Craven Day. See, so we're already off schedule because we just sure. named too many books in well, a row. Those will be but the books that we read. Yeah, of course yeah, right. there's Derek yes, Craven Day coming. So, uh, but in the meantime, there is a new landing page on our website, fatedmates.net. It's so cool looking. Um, And there are only two buttons. It says, listen and explore. And if you click explore, you get taken to the website and you can see our our shot, all of the merch that you can get that's Faded Mates related and transcripts and uh, playlists from all the music that Eric uses. We are produced by Eric Mortensen. You have heard his voice now on the podcast. You know he is for real. Um, and what else? We have pins and stuff from Best Friend Kelly on the Jen Reads Romance shop. And uh, we think that you are fabulous. Bye, everybody.